Welcome back to another episode of Oh the Good Old Days, your time travel tickets to history's dirty little secrets. This is Kinsey, and I'm Cabbage Soup Diet Old. And this is Ellie, and I'm South Beach Diet Old. I don't know. You, you get a cool diet. I'm just cabbage and water. Yeah, mine sounds a lot more fun than yours does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what mine involves, but it, it has the word beach in it, so I think it's got to be fun. It was like, because you know, I'm old enough to remember this, <laughs> it, it's essentially just to look good for the beach, and it was popularized in either California or Florida, you know, those beach states. Yep, yep. The closest beach I have right now is Jersey Shore. I don't know how much of a beach that is. I could technically walk to our beach. It's not a warm beach, but it is a real beach. (laughs) Even in August, it's still not warm? Well, no, yeah. It's not warm at the moment. It is a nice beach in the summertime. (laughs) It's a northeastern beach. (laughs) All of my snow melted like two days after we got a foot of snow. We don't have a whole lot left. I mean, we still have probably about half. A foot or half a foot of snow, but we don't have as much as we had. Oh, I like snow. Uh, Speaking of snow, as February rolls around and those New Year's diet resolutions start to crumble like a cookie, don't let your podcast playlist go stale. Feast your ears on our latest episode. If you've been gobbling up our content like it's a cheat day, why not sprinkle little love and give us five stars? It's the yeast you can do. How dare you? I did say yeast. (laughs) Share us with your friends. We promise we're easier to swallow than a cotton ball and definitely more fulfilling than a breath of air. So butter us up with your feedback and help spread the word like avocado on toast. Remember, subscribing to us won't make you lose weight, but it'll definitely beef up your playlist. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Oh the God Pod. That's O-H-T-H-E-G-O-D-P-O-D on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Threads. And I'm sure you've probably noticed our website's a vintage makeover. If I missed any retro web gems, please email me and let us know. Our email is in the episode description. I had to tap into my high school programming skills for this, back when designing a web page was literally just notepad and dial-up. <laughs> Great times. Oh, I miss those dial-up days. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're triggering me. (laughs) And now it's time for our Latin word of the day. Victu, which means diet. All right, you hungry, hungry hippos. I've been blending like a smoothie king, feasting on a buffet of facts for you. Let me dish out these tidbits fresh from the salad bowl. I'm using up all of my puns for this one. (laughs) Back in the good old days. Food, the great equalizer, transcending time, age, and borders. It has seen us evolve from spear-wielding snackers to supermarket safari experts. The rigorous endeavors of our forefathers now seems like tales from another world, as today's hunting often means a strategic supermarket sweep for snacks. But we're not here to discuss crunchy versus puff, but I'm totally team puff, by the way. We're here to look at some bygone bites of our past. Are you a crunchy or a puff kind of girl? 
I'm not entirely sure. I know they're cereal, right? That's... Oh, I was talking about Cheetos. Those are Cheetos. Oh, crunchy. Oh, no, puffs. It's all about no, the puffs. No, crunchy's way, but you basically, you get more flavor with the crunchy. No, I, I like the puff because you can just let it melt in your mouth. Ugh. All right. We'll have to wrong. agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you can agree that you're wrong. <laughs> no, no, you're wrong. I'm older than you, so respect your elders. No. <laughs> Speaking of elders, <laughs> let's rewind about 25,000 years to the Stone Age, where rocking an extra bit of weight uh, was all the rage. Being plump was pretty much the prehistoric version of flaunting your wealth, power, and let's not forget fertility. This trend was more or less the trend from the cave days all the way to the medieval ages, all the way up to the 1600s. But Hippocrates, the uh, OG doc from the 400s, 400 BCE, that is, was already warning people about the downsides of carrying a little too much padding. He was a total Jimbro, by the way, way before it became mainstream. He was Jimbo before it was cool. Before it was cool. <laughs> I, I didn't know it was cool now. <laughs> oh, I get it. it it's cool to Jimbros. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I keep wanting to say Hippocrates, but I know his name is Hippocrates. It is. It does. It's kind of like Wednesday where you just want to say Wednesday. Like it just yeah. looks like it should be that, that way. <laughs> hungry, hungry Hippocrates. <laughs> Hippocrates. Right. Well, he was basically the anti-couch potato advocate of his time. How do we know this? Well, I wasn't there. Missed it by just a hair, you know, a few millennia. But thankfully, Hippocrates left us some written gems. In one of his works, he takes a jab at the Scythian men, stating, quote, the majority of Scythians, all that are nomads, you will find have their shoulders cauterized as well as their arms, wrists, breasts, hips, and loins, simply because of the moistness and softness of their constitution. For owing to their moistness and flabbiness, they have not the strength to either draw a bow or throw a javelin from the shoulder. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's not holding back any punches. No. <laughs> Scathing. It sounds like he's labin, labeling them the original softies, doesn't it? Yeah. Moist and soft. I, I don't know. Maybe that just means they're a bunch of sweaty underachievers. What, what does he mean to their shoulders, arms, wrists, breasts, hips, and loins cauterized? I, I My understanding know. of cauterization <laughs> is, is not something that you would usually survive having it done to all of those things. <laughs> Maybe they were like branded. I, I don't know. Oh, like, I'm so curious. Or, or maybe they're so. Maybe it's a further insult that <laughs> lost they, in translation. Maybe they were like in the sun for so long doing nothing. I, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But I, I got stuck. I, I couldn't figure it out. So I focused on the words moist and soft. Yeah. And to me, that sounds a little murky. A good workout is supposed to leave people sweaty, right? I mean, yeah. I'm speaking from experience. As someone who hits the ice for hockey, I can attest that sweatiness is just the, the mark of a good, solid effort. Maybe Hippocrates was onto something, or maybe I'm just trying to justify my own moist state post-game. But anywho, remember I called Hippocrates the ancient Jimbro? Mm -hmm. There's more to that story. He didn't just have critiques for the men. The women, too, were on his radar. When he spoke about the women, he used the phrase, quote, wonderfully flabby and torpid in physique. 
<laughs> I bet he was a real hit with the ladies. <laughs> Uh, well, this this was the Scythian woman. I don't know about the uh, what he thought of other women, but hey, girls, and I never told you that you are wonderfully flabby and torpid. <laughs> now, the word "wonderfully" kind of throws a bit of a curveball. I don't know if he was being ironic or if there's a touch of admiration in his description of women. I don't know. I didn't even know what the word "torpid" meant until I, f- I came across it. So after I Googled it, it means, according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, sluggish. And that's not normally a compliment. <laughs> no, no, no. So wonderfully flabby and sluggish. Maybe there's more to his perspective. I don't know. Maybe he found that attractive, different values, different appreciation. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. I have a bit of a sidebar here. <laughs> Uh, my friend, Megan, who uh, has dubbed herself the speech affineur because she helps me with my pronunciation, she explained that the Latin root of the word torpedo is torpid. This linguistic lesson unexpectedly spiraled into a rabbit, a rabbit hole on Google. I decided to search flabby torpedo-shaped women. <laughs> there was nothing noteworthy. So I removed the word flabby and just Googled torpedo-shaped women just for shits and giggles. <laughs> now i was aware of the pointy bra trend but i didn't know they were called torpedo tits (laughs) oh my god i guess i guess it tracks (laughs) and apparently this was popularized before madonna and her little pointy bras this was around the 1950s what's weird is like when you think of torpedoes you don't think of something that's sluggish but if it means sluggish in latin that just makes even less sense (laughs) I mean, it, I don't know. I, I guess I don't know. <laughs> That's I, crazy. I spent way too much time looking at torpedo tits <laughs> pictures because I couldn't not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I'm uh, so scholarly of you. <laughs> I've inadvertently expanded my knowledge base, but not in the scholarly direction you or Megan had in mind. <laughs> All right, sorry. Sidebar over, but I just had to share. <laughs> Diving into the annals of diet history, one of the earliest tales takes us back to 1087 with William the Conqueror. By this time, William had moved past his conquering days and put on quite a bit of weight and decided it was time for a change. In an era devoid of nutritionists, his solution was unconventional to say the least. A diet solely consisting of wine and spirits. Hmm. Spoiler alert, it didn't work. I'm shocked. (laughs) William's demise that exact same year (laughs) wasn't due to his liquid diet, but rather a dramatic fall from a horse that that led to a ruptured intestine that culminated in a fatal infection. Is it possible he fell because he was absolutely fucking hammered? (laughs) The the, the monks who wrote this did not mention that. (laughs) Why would they leave that out? (laughs) Oh, they left something else in. (laughs) Now, the alcohol, unsurprisingly, offered no benefits besides possibly fermenting his internal organs. And those are my thoughts, not the monks. (laughs) It tracks. Now, to add insult to injury, during his burial, the attempt to fit his larger-than-life frame into a small coffin ended in disaster. The, 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 the monks that were, or the 
people that were burying him were pushing on his body and pushed a little too hard on his stomach and he literally exploded. <laughs> Build a bigger coffin. <laughs> nope, they just kept oh pushing. Oh my god. I, I, I get the impression that oh, he was maybe not that popular. <laughs> now, all, it, all William conquered was <laughs> alcohol. Clearly. I don't know if he conquered it or not. Right, yeah, it sounds to me like maybe he <laughs> conquered him. <laughs> the, the takeaway from the story, a balanced diet is key, and replacing meals with copious amount of alcohol is a recipe for disaster, not just for your health, but for dignified funerals as well. <laughs> All right, we're just going to jump a few thousand years to more modern-ish days. The Banting Diet in, from the uh, 1850s was a concept that was both sensible and groundbreaking for its time. Legend has it that Dr. William Banting was in such a state, ill, glum, and rotund, that Aren't he had all? to, oh no, he, he took it to a whole nother level. <laughs> he had to tackle stairs in reverse, essentially like moonwalking his way downstairs because of his girth. So he wouldn't like weeble wobble down? No, he would just walk backwards. <laughs> no, but like, is it because if he walked forwards, he'd just like, he was too front heavy, he'd just... <laughs> Have you ever played with Mighty Beans? I, I have the beans. not. <laughs> These weighted beans, and you can put them on the stairs, and they just flop down the stairs because they're top heavy. <laughs> I, I, I don't I'm going to imagine that's why. We're saying that's why. It's canon now. I, I'm not sure how walking backwards is safer, but maybe the people are not as clumsy as I am. I'm, I trip over nothing. Yeah. We're also not making fun of people who are a little, you know, ill glum or rotund to use the the, the words of the article it, it's just the way that he dealt with it what he came up with was the 1860s answer to the is it keto or keto craze i don't know i've always heard it as keto but who, keto? who knows yeah i should have asked megan well all right so we'll call it keto <laughs> so his <laughs> was his version of uh, a keto diet he advocated for cutting out ferrin ashes saccharine and oily matter that essentially anything with bread, pastry, butter, milk, pork, champagne, oily fish, meats, anything with fat, you know, anything with flavor. Keto's like, isn't keto about eating pretty much exclusively fat and no carbs? No carbs, but it, I mean, it also wants you to eat protein, not exclusively fat. Yeah, but like they're big on uh, keto people put butter in their coffee. Ew. Yeah, I know. I, it's I love butter coffee. But, oh, I, I lived in Kentucky for a while and like, Butter was the answer the to everything. knows it's butter. Oh, oh yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just toss a stick in there. It makes everything better. <laughs> it does indeed. But <laughs> I guess this was his version of it. He wanted people to eat lean meats, poultry, game, fruits, dry toast, a sip of dry sherry here and there, and plenty of green veggies. I mean, it sounds- I, it's not terrible. Hey, the, the, the guy lost hundreds of pounds because he was like over 350 at his heaviest. Wow, that's that's big for the 1800s, I think. Yes. Speaking with no knowledge. Oh, <laughs> I, I do talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only like one out of every 200 people were over six feet tall, or men were over six feet tall back in the 1800s. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, William Banting's diet was okay with soft boiled eggs it made no mention of hard boiled eggs just soft boiled eggs well if you boil them harder they get fatter 
I don't, I, I don't, that's I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, that's I was going to say, I, I figured if I said it with enough confidence, <laughs> I would have totally believed you because you grew up on a farm. <laughs> but anyway, he also, this is where the diet loses me. He said cheese was okay in moderation. I can't, I love cheese. Cheese is very good. Although I will agree that it's probably everything in moderation. She never excess in anything. E- except for Cheetos and cheese. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> His diet, though, drew the line at parsnips, beets, turnips, and carrots. I think he just didn't like those things. <laughs> <laughs> or just didn't like that particular color of red or orange. Aren't turnips white? I don't know. I don't eat vegetables. Yeah, this is true. We need to work on that. Anyways. <laughs> I'm going to start mailing you potatoes. <laughs> oh, potatoes are the Sweet best potatoes. vegetable. Oh, never mind. <laughs> His diet became all the rage to a point where banting became a like like just the word in the average vocabulary of everyday people. In fact, I found an opinion piece in 1864 that was written by an author that just feels like a kindred spirit to me based on his verbiage. This author wrote that you know he he lamented the potential loss of quote all our fat men should bantanism take over. The anonymous scribe really celebrated that the fat man is ever your peacemaker, your general friend, your benevolent public benefactor. Essentially, he was just questioning what's going to happen to the mayors and aldermen's if people stop being fat. A fair concern. <laughs> A fair concern. All right. Let's uh, move forward about 40 years, 30 years or so to the where we're not going to talk about a diet per se, but a weight loss gadget. This one takes a shocking turn. It's George Burwell's invention, the obesity belt. This was no ordinary belt. No, no. This belt, (laughs) it promised to jolt the jiggles right off your midsection. Didn't they have something like that in the 90s? (laughs) Oh, they still do to this day. Okay, I thought so. (laughs) Like, I feel like I saw an Instagram ad for that. The, the only difference is the regulations of, you know, now. Probably and, a little safer now. <laughs> Just I, as effective, though. <laughs> yes, yes. The specifics of how it worked were a little bit fuzzy, but the concept, electrifying. A 1902 article caught my eye with its uh, rather amusing take on a season's uh, figure dilemma. This one suggested that women, quote, with too much figure, end quote, were to be pitied. But if you're not, the writer had a solution up their sleeve. Corsets. These magical garments promised to flatten the belly and redistribute 200 pounds elsewhere. So it was Spanx. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> no, because it was like just in one part of your body. And it, I mean, the fat really went up to your boobs and butt. But (laughs) Spanx, you ever worn a pair of Spanx? Oh, I guess not. Because I'm thinking of Spanx for your thighs and ass. Oh, yeah. It pushes everything up for your butt and everything up for your. uh, Yeah. Well, corsets are a little bit more extreme because it's a little more permanent. (laughs) But he didn't really explain where these 200 pounds were going. And I'm also concerned why there's 200 pounds in your belly alone. That would be. A lot <laughs> to carry around. <laughs> and, you know, for those who are not keen on the corset trend, he did say that, all right, if 
Corsets are not for you. For those who are with too much figure can just try the banting method as a fallback plan. His choice of words really had me in stitches, particularly the part where he talks about the, quote, indolent women. These are the women who allegedly survive on water alone, yet remain mysteriously plump. We call that thyroid disease. (laughs) Well, this was the 1900s. It wasn't a thyroid. There were no diseases back then. It was just fat. It was just spren. It's fine. Now, this made me think if this author was challenging his inner Hippocrates. After all, indolence is just a fancy term for being lazy or sluggish or, to tie it all back, torpid. Thyroid disease. (laughs) (laughs) The writer doesn't hold back. He further remarks, fat is made of food and not air. (laughs) This is true. In a nod to the beauty standards of the early 1900s, he suggests, quote, until stomachs come into fashion and 44-inch busts are celebrated, something must be done by the women who own them. I'm just going to say, I don't think a man on this planet exists who's not like, oh no, a 44-inch bust. (laughs) Please make it smaller. (laughs) I can't even like imagine in my mind a 44-inch bust, but... All right. I thought it was to be. I, I'm pretty sure I have some friends who are beyond that. Tots instead of tits. What we like to say. <laughs> Damn it. Now I'm craving tater tots for dinner. Wondering <laughs> out. Go look at your torpedo boots. Right. Torpedo tits, please. Sorry. <laughs> Gotta say it right. Exactly. Now, thankfully, we've since shed both the corset and these dated viewpoints, we've moved towards a more inclusive understanding of beauty and body positivity. I mean, there's still a little bit of ground to cover in dismantling the lingering stereotype and biases. And it's a relief. These archaic attitudes are now confined to the murkier corners of the internet, where they belong, as long as you ignore the bros, incels, and the the, the politicians. And like every doctor ever who tells a woman, you just need to lose weight, whatever your health problem is. It's just because you're fat. It's not cancer. (laughs) Maybe I just have the world's best doctors because no one's ever told me that. No one's told me that, but I have so many friends who've had doctors just be like, no, it's not this other legitimate issue, despite what your blood tests say. It's just because you're fat. It's just like, obviously there's health problems attached, but it's not the only cause for uncomfort. I guess I like my doctors. Yeah, you've got a good doctor. I've got good ones. And I'm breaking down. I've got a doctor for everything now. (laughs) That's what happens when you're over 30, I think. Oh, yeah. Over 30, yeah. I miss being just close to 30. Anyway. (laughs) All right. Progress is ongoing, albeit not perfect. But at least we're not lacing up corsets to meet societal expectations anymore. Corsets are actually kind of having a comeback. Maybe corsets and torpedo tits? Torpedo tits, not quite. Yet. But but corsets are a little more mainstream with Gen Z. We'll give them time. They haven't still gotten past the 90s yet. We'll get there. Well, everything comes back. I'm totally waiting for torpedo tits to come back. Me too. (laughs) Now, if corsets aren't your thing, 1902 had another option. California's very own syrup of figs, marketed as a nature's pleasant laxative. It promised a delicious, easy-to-swallow solution whenever your kidneys and bowels are inactive, or if you have a headache, if you're depressed, or if you're just fat. What a wide range of... (laughs) Like, I buy the the laxative part, but I don't know if it would help with a a headache or depression. (laughs) 
it didn't mention women problems, although other ads did. (laughs) Okay. I was going to (laughs) say. Now this ad specifically promised a quote, (laughs) a gentle, non-disturbing, non-violent or debilitating (laughs) laxative. (laughs) I don't know. I like my laxatives to be a little bit violent. (laughs) It really paints a picture. (laughs) I I just want to hit pause for, for a little giggle break since I already went down the uh, chauvinistic rabbit hole. Not related to diets, but I stumbled upon this uh, old-timey article that was titled, Who Go Mad First? Grammar must have been on a holiday back then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This piece of amazing journalism dove headfirst into the turbulent waters of marriage and careers and their impact on one's marbles or, you know, like the rough. The author, who's anonymous but gives off very strong I'm a Y chromosome vibes, starts off by telling the reader that one in every 298 folks was deemed a lunatic by 1902's definition. The numbers increased from one in every 536 people in 1859. Our mysterious yet clearly male scholar posits here that women working in high-stake gigs like packing case makers and wood stapling are on a faster track to cuckoo town than their counterparts in more genteel trades of book selling and journalism, or the male-dominant careers of butchers and and miners. Essentially, if you're a woman with a job that he didn't approve of, you're more likely to be crazy, was his conclusion. Well, hysteria is a very real problem that the modern woman has to deal with on a regular basis. It is the 1902s, it's as modern as they get. He further postulates that being single is also a one-way ticket to the loony bin. He doesn't really spell out his conclusion, but kind of frames it, hmm, isn't that interesting? Honestly, if time travel plopped me back to 1902 and my dating pool was filled with blokes who thought corsets were the bee's knees, I'd wave the insane flag just to dodge that bullet. In another similar article, there was a piece that examined the average height and weight of people. And they were saying one out of 200 people were over six feet tall or some number like that. But he also pointed out that lunatics were shorter and weighed less than people who were not, quote, lunatics. Children? (laughs) (laughs) Are we considering all children to be lunatics? Have you met a child? I have. They're little sociopaths. They haven't developed consciences yet. All right, then. There's a reason I don't have any. I love children. It's fine. (laughs) I only love my nephew and niece, nobody else. I think they're great from a distance. (laughs) (laughs) All right, break over. I know it wasn't diet related, but I really thought an excursion into 1902 chauvinism was worthwhile. Always an interesting place to go. And within the next five episodes or so, we're going to look at lunacy as a topic. Ooh. Now, the early 1900s were a wild ride in the world of dieting, between corsets, squeezing the life out of you, and laxatives, you know. (laughs) Squeezing something else out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Enter the most glowing fad of them all, radioactive water. Oh, no. Now, this wasn't touted as a uh, weight loss drug, but it was all the rage for those who wanted to rejuvenate and revitalize. You know, I bet it did help you lose weight. I'm going to spare you the gritty details for now, because again, this is another topic that is coming up relatively soon, just the whole radium craze. But let's just say if you wanted glowing skin, this health fad 
totally delivered. Literally. Spoiler alert, radium is not edible. Trust me, it's not the kind of inner glow you want. But when you're 100% skeleton, you definitely weigh less. You, you do. You do indeed. And when your mm-hmm. jaw falls off, you also weigh a lot yeah. less. Every body part that you lose means you weigh less. <laughs> now, staying within the 1900s, we're going to look at some more quirky weight loss tactics. William Windsor had his own weight loss fat. I'm going to use his words because he does it so much better. Literally his first words, let me clarify something. We do not eat dirt. We eat sand. I don't know why he was British, but. (laughs) Oh no. Pigeons do it. It's got to (laughs) work. It's only round sand that has been carefully selected to cleanse, sterilized, and purified. (laughs) Willie here adds that the stomach is a grinding mechanism that needs sand to grind. Oh my God. He's literally trying to be a pigeon. (laughs) He said animals. He said all animals. (laughs) That's actually what he was saying. It's like animals do it. Oh (laughs) my God. Most animals don't do it. I don't know. I've never really taken a poll. (laughs) Do your cats eat rocks? If you say yes, I'm going to be concerned. (laughs) My cats do not, but I have a cat who's 23 pounds and he probably would if I I think he he might eat rocks. more concerned what is he not eating (laughs) i had a cat his name was chubbs and his favorite food was hummus how how (laughs) on brand of him (laughs) he also loved cheetos but he also preferred the puffy kind Mm, so he also had poor taste yes (laughs) (laughs) he liked salt and vinegar chips but only to lick the flavor off not actually eat the chip I can respect it. Best cat ever. He knows what he likes. (laughs) Moving on. According to another article that I found in the Bismarck Tribune, the secret to shedding, quote, superfluous flesh was simple. Fire your cock and roll up your sleeves. But not for a job because, you know, we are civilized people and it's the 1900s, but for some Mm -hmm. good old fashioned housework. The article didn't stop there. It said, don't drink during meals, not even water. And if manual labor wasn't your cup of tea, why not try golf? He suggested that women should try golf because the combination of sun and wind would cut through the fat like a knife. So like their version of liposuction, I guess. Right, right. I mean, okay, I will say that technically not drinking during meals is better for you because when you do consume a lot of water while you're eating food, it actually waters down your stomach acid and makes your stomach work harder. Fun fact. So it's better to either drink before or after, but not hmm. during. Yeah. Are Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to presume he was accidentally correct and there was no logic <laughs> behind his reasoning, but that is a genuine thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, there's no logic behind his no, reasoning at no. all. And for those who didn't want to hit the links, another article suggested a pill called Phytoline. It was hailed as good news for corpulent people. I've never heard of so many different ways to to say fat before in my life. Yeah. (laughs) This is so imaginative. (laughs) This wonder pill was the talk of town. It was advertised as the ultimate anti-fat remedy that was suitable for everybody, regardless of age or gender. And it was entirely derived of nature. Or so they said. The inspiration, birds seemed to slim down when they ate certain berries. 
So, taking a cue from our feathered friends, the producers of Phytoline concocted a potent blend featuring pokeberries or <gasps> pokeberries. No. Do you know pokeberries or? Yeah, when I was little, they used to grow all around our property. My brother and I used to make mud pies and salads with them. We wouldn't eat them though because pokeberries, I believe, are are poisonous, aren't they? Well, all I can find was there were laxative. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to eat those. Well, regardless. (laughs) I need to look up and see what they look like and see if I'm thinking of the right plant now because. (laughs) Yes, pokeweeds. So they are poisonous. Oh, I don't know if they're, are pokeweed berries poisonous? Sorry, our producer is not here today. (laughs) You have to do the Googling. (laughs) It is poisonous, including, causing a variety of symptoms, including death. Well, you know what though? It still is the safest thing in that concoction. Oh, God. (laughs) In addition to the pokeberries, which were back then, I guess, known for their laxative properties. Yeah, poison does make you shoot yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, don't do that. (laughs) Finally, also contained arsenic, strychnine and caffeine. (laughs) Strychnine? Isn't that rat poison? Yes, it is. Oh, my God. I mean, talk about a cocktail with a kick. Uh, well, you again, you know what? I'm sure it made him lose weight. And sure enough, my next slide is these pills did lead to weight loss. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> worrying about extra pounds isn't really an issue for someone who was just poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> for those who care, strychnine poisoning happens in as little as 15 minutes in high enough quantities. While arsenic kills within one to four days based on dosage. I think arsenic is a pretty popular slow poison if you want to just sprinkle it in someone's porch. Not saying you, like as a listener, do this. I just mean like it's been used in the past to slowly poison people. And they usually do lose weight, so. (laughs) It works. It works. (laughs) So now we have more things to add to my weird Google searches. How long to die? You're on a list. How, How to get away with poisoning your spouse with arsenic. No, hey. no, it was for the podcast. <laughs> it wasn't how to get away with it. It was just how long before it takes effect. <laughs> yeah, you already know how to get away with it. Of course I do. It's for your book, right? <laughs> of course. The 1910s introduced us to Horace Fletcher, a.k.a. the Great Masticator, as he was known. Better than the Great Masturbator. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one who's minding that one. <laughs> the globe-trotting, multi-talented gent with absolutely no formal nutrition training swore through the power of chewing. And I mean some serious chewing until your food swallowed itself. Fletcherism, as it was dubbed, wasn't just about some dental gymnastics. It was believed to improve overall health, prevent overindulgence, and even save a penny or two. Here's what he wanted people to do. Chew each bite between 50 and 100 times. Even milk. Well, mm-mm. if you have to chew your milk, <laughs> throw it out because it's gone bad. <laughs> Chewing milk is not good. I have tried it. Not knowingly. I just didn't realize it had gone bad. But <laughs> I grew up on powdered milk. So I had chewy milk in a different way. I yeah, guess. I guess that's a more acceptable form of chewy milk. It was just because you didn't mix it enough and it definitely yeah. didn't need to be chewed 50 to 100 times. No, no, that's a little much. He also said 
especially if you're hungry. That's when you need to chew more. And uh, he had a giant jaw. (laughs) (laughs) He did say that if you're angry or if you're anxious, if you're fuming or fretting, put the fork down and don't eat. Now, a Uh, usually if I'm fuming (laughs) or fretting and I don't eat, the fuming and fretting is going to get much, much worse very quickly. (laughs) You mean hangry? Yes. (laughs) In 2011, a study looked at Fletcher's choo-choo diet. Using electromyography to monitor chewing patterns, the researchers found a kernel of truth to Fletcherism. More chews meant less food consumed. The experiment noted a 12% reduction in food intake with 35 chews compared to 10. 30, so, 10? I don't think I chew anything more than five times. I'm like, chomp, chomp, swallow. <laughs> now, I actually, when I was having dinner last night as I was you know, researching this, yeah. I was eating chicken and I'm like, I'm going to chew this 35 times. It didn't last. I will say though, along with the not drinking water while you consume a meal, yeah. chewing your food more thoroughly is actually better for your stomach for the same reason. Less work. 50 to 100 times. That's <laughs> excessive, I think. <laughs> even milk. <laughs> even, even you chew that water. <laughs> now, the study is pretty intriguing, their findings, but it also only had a small sample size. So take with that what you wish. How, how small was their sample size? 11 people. Mm. You know, <laughs> Not cows. <laughs> I was going to say an Irish family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's not a big enough sample size. Yeah. I'm not trying to make fun of Irish people. My dad's one of 10. So, you know. (laughs) Tracks. Fletcherism wasn't just peddled as a dieting marvel. It was also pitched as a financial game changer. Imagine slimming down while your wallet bulks up. A 1910 article from the Pittsburgh Press revealed that Fletcher's lesser-known and, again, self-awarded accolade as an economist. This man boldly claimed that the savings on groceries and medical bills could furnish an entire house. Fletcher traced his eclectic wisdom back to his days in Japan, where, by his account, he taught the Japanese war minister how to shoot a rifle. Yes. Between advocating for excessive chewing and economizing through diets, He is the reason that the Japanese war minister learned how to shoot. Totally believable. Sure. (laughs) Leaping ahead to 1911, in our quirky diet history, we encounter Marjorie Hamilton. She called herself Calendar Girl. She said she lost 37 pounds and her double chin in just five weeks. Ooh. She wasn't just any calendar model. No, no. She said that she raked in $100 per hour for her poses. Wow. I did the math. That's $3,228 in today's money. Wow. That's a decent modeling fee. (laughs) Okay, Margie, whatever. (laughs) I searched. I couldn't find any of her calendars on Google. Now, when she was dishing out her diet book for free, she promised if you send her a letter in the mail, the ad even stated in all caps, do not send any money. She's just going to just give you the book for free. And if you said, ah, that doesn't work, she's going to send you $1,000, which is about $32,000 in today's money, that her method works. All right. Wow. You ready for her secret sauce? Is it cocaine? Uh, no. Oh. Enemas. <laughs> cocaine enemas? <laughs> 
just regular items. Uh, just wait, just like, I, okay. <laughs> she advocated for regular enemas, lemon juice shots, mineral water sips, something called an obesity powder. And- oh, that's cocaine. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's not. I'll tell you what that is. <laughs> oh, no. And Indian exercises. I, I don't know what Indian exercises are, but if enemas are the opening shot of this gimmick, so Indian Indian or Native American Indian? I'm probably it's, Native American, huh? This was 1912. Take yeah. that with you. Yeah. So she said to do all of that with the Banting diet of, you know, 1860s. I looked up another article to find out just what the obesity powder was. Yeah. And it's not something you eat. Oh, it's you snort it. No. You, <laughs> you really poop it on my cocaine method here. <laughs> You do apply it directly to the fat parts twice a day. Oh. Yeah, it's made of a bunch of different salts, like Epsom salt and baking soda. And so maybe it's just kind of making you sweat away. I don't know. Okay, uh, okay. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I mean, your idea was more fun. Yeah. Uh, and, but, and it would actually work. <laughs> but you could get cocaine very easily back then. I know. Like it was, in, it was in Coke. <laughs> the drink (laughs) that's where it got its name (laughs) now the article that gave her secret away was posted in 1912 which is about a year after she said her method works this article from the journal of american medical association said that marjorie's dietless and drugless system uses drugs and diet (laughs) it calls her a quack and an obesity cure fake and I'm sure you're as shocked as I am when I tell you that Marjorie Hamilton, the calendar model, doesn't exist. <gasps> it was a woman called Evelyn Cunningham. I know, Evelyn. I know. She tricked us all. Quite cunning indeed, Mrs. Cunningham. Shame on you. By the roaring 20s, folks were trading sit-ups for sit-backs and ergotherapy. What's that, you ask? Picture this. A leisurely alternative to the sweat and tears of traditional exercise, commonly called the Bergoni system. The 1921 ad means a serene scene where patients lounge while electric waves do the heavy lifting, twitching their muscles into shape as they snooze or leaf through a magazine. Sounds like a dream, right? Especially with claims of shedding 6 to 13 ounces per zap. And a per zap? Well, per zap session. Oh, okay. I was going to say that's a lot very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it also promises to drop a whopping 35 pounds in six weeks. That's uh, 7 to 16 zappy naps weekly. Couldn't tell you what the uh, voltage of these, quote, gentle volts are, because there are, shocking, no clinical studies. Really? Shocking. No. Dive deeper, and you'll find ads that boast of comfy arm and leg zappers. But another blog researcher paints a more avant-garde picture. A patient, naked, Reclining on moist towels, cocooned under sandbags that were probably upwards of 100 pounds, with electrodes clinging to limbs and bellies, waiting for just a flick of a switch. Then muscles twitch up to 100 contractions a minute. The patient, drenched in sweat, would just step out allegedly refreshed and lighter. Now, if some of our listeners are into the modern-day EMS belt, as they're called, the modern version of this, no judgment here. I mean, I tear up over a Band-Aid yank. We all know how I feel about phlebotomists. So 
you can probably imagine my stance on electric jolts. But thankfully, today's gadgets, assuming they're real, come with a dose of regulation that I don't think existed back then. Yeah. And you know what, Ellie? Hmm. I want you to look online. I have a couple of pictures. Do you want to explain those two pictures? It's pretty much what you described. It's uh, Dr. Both top and bottom one doctor standing with a patient who is covered in materials with a very ominous looking table connected to wires connected to the patient. (laughs) Now, with the first picture, what is up with that guy's feet? (laughs) Looks like tentacles. (laughs) Yeah, well, and they don't really look like it. I think it might be a woman because are those boobs? It looks like there's boobs. I thought that was the back. (laughs) Oh, well, geez. Uh, Now I don't know. Yeah, I thought, I, I, yeah, it's really not clear what part of the body. tentacles. <laughs> yeah, tentacles. I think uh, maybe it's not a person. Could Octopus be. man. Yeah. Now the second picture, that face. Yeah, the guy looks real nervous. It like, almost looks like a fake face. I guess like, it's kind of low quality picture, but I, I mean, they didn't have high HDMI back in nineteen yeah. twenties. You know those pictures of like when someone puts a piece of bologna on their cat. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that face look like that? Yeah, just like no, <laughs> no defined lines, just mustache and eyes. Well, six months later, the Bergoni Systems advertising game stepped up, promising not just weight loss, but the epitome of elegance. Dimpled elbows and knees. What? I don't know what dimpled knees are. <laughs> the only way I can imagine you having dimpled knees is if there was fat around your knees. So... Mm-hmm. Kind of, maybe it was broken. Yeah. Like I just, I, I, that doesn't make any sense. I'm so confused. Well, this method was also supposedly endorsed by Queen Mary herself. You know what I did, don't you? (laughs) I emailed Buckingham Palace asking if this was true. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to know if they could verify if the majesty really did have her own Bergoni chair. Did they email you back? (laughs) No, not yet, but I I will let you know if they do. I also found that there's a cybersecurity manager vacancy open at the Buckingham Palace. I was was tempted. Yeah. Between a palace employment application and my eclectic Google searches, I'm probably on a spot on multiple watch lists. Definitely. Oh, I mean, Uh, you're also an immigrant, so. Well, that too. From from a a place where we don't like people. But I am a citizen. It doesn't matter. Uh, damn it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I drop off the radar because of my email, the Buckingham Palace, mm-hmm. it's been a blast, folks. I could be in the midst of a spirited chinwag with some of our dearly departed British listeners debating the finer points of goose pimples. Or you could be in the back of a CIA van. Uh, or MI5. I, oh. I, mean, I mean, stay tuned or not. I'm broadcasting from the Tower of London, courtesy of the MI5, might be a bit tricky. Yeah. As we wrap up, uh, let's take a moment for a final nod to the quaint, if not outright chauvinistic attitudes of yesteryear. Here's a paraphrased pearl from an 1899 Detroit Free Press article. The Detroit Lions suck, so, and they lost, but I had to get Detroit in somehow. Still <laughs> proud of you boys, even if you lost. Girls should only venture into the gym under the strict guidance of a seasoned calisthenic and gymnastics instructor. Now, surprisingly, the professor attributed with this quote suggests that girls, once bitten with the athletic bug, 
become more daring and more reckless than boys. According to his perspective, girls require more methodical training due to their delicate nature and weaker muscles. He even gives an anecdote of sprained toes during modest high jumps as evidence of female fragility. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you get out of bed and you sprain your little feminine toe? And I wonder what this man would say if he knew, not only do I jump, but I play ice hockey, floor hockey, and flag football all regularly, and I've never sprained a toe. Well, the rabbit hole of historic diets is deep and bewildering. From sleeping the weight away to tapeworm feasts to vinegar-soaked food, charcoal cleanse, and even the cigarette diet, it's beyond belief that these were actual attempts at weight loss. Mindful that our episode ticking clock is about the one-hour mark, we're going to have to bookmark these dietary oddities for future deep dive. Rest assured, there's plenty of peculiar plants to explore next time around. The fascination with slimming down around the mid-1800s increased, but it wasn't just about obesity. It was influenced by fashion trends and the rise of the life insurance industry. The actuary tables showed that there were shorter lifespans for heavier individuals. This period also saw a rise in derogatory terms for being overweight. Porky in the 1860s, Butterball in the 1890s. And by World War I, being overweight was viewed not just as unattractive, but unpatriotic. <laughs> it reflected a deep-seated culture shift in attitudes towards body size. This dramatic shift in body size perception marked a stark departure from earlier times when a fuller figure was celebrated as a sign of wealth, health, and fertility. The once-revered symbols of prosperity and well-being gradually gave away to the slender silhouette heralding the era where thin is in, reshaping beauty standards and societal norms in the process. Well, to be honest, none of those diet plans surprised me, and I feel like we are still to this day seeing things that are... I think this might be a case where it might be a tie between modern day and past tense. It could be a tie, could be worse. I don't know, because now we have the viral trends, because if one person does it, we all got to do it now. And, and logic is now taking yeah. a back seat and, and, I mean, for likes and shares. Too. That too. People wanting likes and shares is making matters even worse. I'm going to talk just about a couple of diet innovations here that really push the envelope. The first one is the cotton ball diet. It's a real fluff piece from 2013. Have you heard of that one? It sounds really familiar. You, I'm sure yeah. you can guess what people are consuming in the cotton ball yeah. diet. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. It's probably not cotton balls though, right? No, no. It is exactly cotton balls. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, you take a cotton ball, you soak it in orange juice, lemonade, or a smoothie, and, and then you eat it. It's meant to trick your stomach into thinking it's full. I mean, it's kind of full if you consider a pillow to be full. Um. There are really a lot of things wrong with this diet. First of all, unless you're splurging on top shelf organic cotton, typical cotton balls are synthetic and full of chemicals. It's literally like snacking on your shirt, but it's a lot less nutritious. And there's a side of potential uh, intestinal blockades and just a dash of toxicity. Then there's the potential for choking, the, the malnutrition, and like I mentioned, the obstruction of the uh, intestinal tract. All of these can be fatal. I mean, this is one of the biggest things that people have to take their dogs to the vet for. Right. Getting cotton balls out of their belly or cotton puffs. So, Last time I stuck 
something non-edible in my mouth. Actually, it was up my nose. I was like two. What was it? It was actually a cotton ball that I ripped out of a toy. All right. Well, there we go. Hey, it came out of a doll. The doll had cotton. So I I, I don't know what my reasoning was. I was two. All right. Well, let's switch gears to another diet that doesn't just avoid conventional food, but this one bypasses them altogether. The breatharian diet or breatharian diet. I don't know. Breatharian, breatharian. English is hard. Breatharian, I feel like sounds right. I don't know. You have a breath of fresh air, so it could be breatharian. Yeah. You know what? English is hard. I don't know. This dangerous diet is marketed as a lifestyle. It revolves around prana or Sanskrit Mm. for life force. And it's heavily promoted by Ellen Grieve, who goes by the name Josh Muhin. To be honest, not to judge anybody, but generally for me, white people going by a non-white <laughs> red flag. I just stay in your lane, Ellen. <laughs> you know, we haven't talked about Norway for a while. It is sneaking in. Ellen is the daughter of Norwegian immigrants, as white as you get. <laughs> yes, literally. So breatharians believe that you can be without food or drink and live solely on air and light. But it's not an overnight switch. Jaz Mohin outlines a gradual transition from vegetarianism to veganism to raw foods, then just fruits, liquids, and eventually just prana. Now, fasting can have its place for health or spiritual reasons, but breathinarianism stretches the concept to its fatal breaking point. Despite yeah. Jasmine Heen's bold claims of living on air and light diet, Australia's 60 Minute asked her to appear on their show and it asked her to, you know, show them this lifestyle. Within 48 hours, she was severely dehydrated. She had high blood pressure and other maladies. She said, oh, air pollution. That's why. So they flew mm-hmm. her out to another part of the country where there was no air pollution. And again, good for them for just (laughs) calling her out on it. (laughs) Now, again, all of these maladies started showing up and they were worried, you know, that they might be sued if she died. So they stopped the experiment. And she said, no, they purposely stopped it because they knew I would be successful. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, her extreme diet has had some fatal consequences. It makes her not just a dubious figure like the, the fake calendar lady, you know, Marjorie Hamilton, Ellen or Evelyn Cunningham. But this Jasmine Heen is just a genuinely dangerous influence. Yeah. I found many tragic tales of followers like Verdi Lynn, Timo Degen, and Lonnie Morris who highlight the lethal and fatal consequences of not eating or drinking. But the high priestess of hunger herself somehow is still thriving on her prana. And if internet rumors are true, she's worth about $6 million. You know, I think her fortune would be a tad heftier with all her book sales and all the non-existent grocery and dining out expenses. Wait, she does eat on occasion, she said, but just for taste. Oh, yeah. You see, I actually don't need to eat either. I just eat regularly because I enjoy it. Oh, yes. Yes. And, and yes. that's why you yep. breathe, because it is totally something within your control. You just enjoy. Yeah, I don't need to breathe either, actually. I just yeah. enjoy the smell of air. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. We can't prove prove me otherwise. So, (laughs) and that's why I eat too, just for taste. 
Ja. Too long didn't listen. We dove into the diet time machine where William the Conqueror turned to an all-liquor diet, proving even royals can make poor decisions. Then we met Mrs. Cunningham, a.k.a. Marjorie Hamilton, a.k.a. Calendar Girl. She dazzled the world with a diet that was more enemas and powder that you, you know, rub on your fat. Not to be outdone, Horace Fletcher championed the art of turning every meal into a jaw workout. Because who needs a gym when you've got Fletcherism? Who can forget Phytoline, the anti-fat pill for the corpulent? Blending laxatives, which are apparently fatal, with a dash of poison, because we don't have enough fatal in that concoction. For <laughs> Several that, dashes of poison. <laughs> for that literal drop-dead gorgeous luck. And for the grand finale, the electrifying Burgoni chair, because nothing says weight loss like a good invigorating shock to the system. But you know, like you said, we're really not any better today. People are still in search for that perfect weight loss solution, with some turning their stomachs into pillows with a cotton ball diet or just not eating ever. In lieu of eating cotton balls, find us online at Oh the God Pod. <laughs> We're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, threads. Yes, and please let us know what you think of the new site. And to end this episode, Don't to follow us on Patreon too. Yes, that too. We've got Patreon. Yeah, we got everything. You know, we're going to have all of those links in our episode description, so you don't even have to go very far. Now, as we digest this smorgasbord of diet history, let's remember to garnish our journey with generous helping of self-love. Obesity sits prominently on the health concern menu. It's intertwined with issues like heart disease and diabetes, but we can't really skim past the starter course here, mental health. Depression, the uninvited guest at our dinner party, doesn't really care about your BMI. Discuss realistic weight loss goals with your doctor. Hopefully, they don't just tell you to lose weight, but actually listen to your concerns. And remember, your worth is not measured by the scales. While you're at it, why not sprinkle a little love on your favorite podcast crew? That's us. Go on, slather our digital bread with subscription, pass around our wisdom like your finest hors d'oeuvres, and sprinkle a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice like it's a finest Parmesan. Your support is the cherry on top of his podcast pie. Now I want pie. I, I still want tater tots and yeah. torpedo tits. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll forego the, the torpedo tits, but we, we all have our own things. <laughs> Each their own. Have a good day, everyone. Yeah.